I'm your host, Jacob Gantz. This is episode two, and I've entitled it, Leave Only Footprints. And I'm going to explain that title to you in just a second. But first, I wanted to apologize. I don't have a guest with me today. I had the annual Music Educators Association Conference in Wyoming this past week, and it it took a lot of uh, travel and time, and so I wasn't able to, to put that together. But our guest will be with us next week. That's Bradley W. Skinner. He is a former administrator, and he's currently a theater teacher that I work with almost on a daily basis. But he's going to come, and we're going to talk about uh, some issues revolving around school climate, high-quality student relationships, and also look into some trauma in the classroom and what our students are facing. Brad has experience in all those areas, and uh, he's a, a fantastic educator, and I'm looking forward to chat with him. But that will be next week. Today, we're talking about, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of feeling guilty because even though I wanted to have Brad on the show this week, I get to talk about something that, that I'm very familiar with and that's very near and dear to my heart, and that's student travel. The, the title of the episode is Leave Only Footprints. The first part of that saying is, was actually from Chief Washakie, Chief sorry, Chief Seattle, and the full quote from him is, take only memories, leave only footprints. And I think that that's a great idea to live by when we're talking about travel. And this episode is for those people that might not have a lot of experience with student travel or it's never even crossed their mind. Hopefully you're just, you just happen upon this episode and maybe it piques your curiosity. But if you don't think this episode is for you, uh, there's no easier way to say that, that it is. I could talk about this subject all day. And I've got lots of information for you and tons of ideas. Uh, while this, the, the information is really helpful for middle school and high school teachers and administrators, it is also helpful for primary teachers as you could easily step into to the role of administrator someday or, or jump, the, jump the bridge and, and join us in the secondary level. Um, or maybe even college someday. So I think this is relevant for everybody. It's certainly a subject I'm passionate about, and I hope you'll see that as we as we go through the episode. I'm big on storytelling, so I'm going to, and I, I said that in the first episode, that it's important for my listeners, uh, for me, to, that my listeners get a lot of personal anecdotes. I think we all learn better if, if we can give somebody an example or, or tell them where we've been. So I'm going to start with that, and I'm going to talk a little bit about my experience and, and why we're talking about this on, on Millennial Mythos today. So when I was a sophomore in college at the University of Wyoming, of course, I'm, I'm a music, I was a music major and a, a vocalist, and so we were set up to go to Italy, Austria, and Germany in the spring of 2006. And... I had never been out of the country when this was announced, and, and the first thing I did was, was leave choir that day and, and call my parents, and uh, they were so gracious to, to put up the money to, to let me go. And I have to tell you that I have never had a more profound experience in the way I was shaped as a teacher. Uh, so our, our director took us, it was over spring break 2006, 
And I remember, I, I mean, I really didn't know what to expect. I got all ready and I did everything that I was told and, and got packed and, and brought everything, but I really had no idea what to expect. And so I remember vividly landing in Rome and knowing as the, as the, the wheels on the plane touched down that, that I was doing something that I had never done before and it was just magical to me. But we landed in Rome and the next thing I can remember is, is riding on the bus to, work, to our hotel and looking out the window, so this is 2006, smart cars hadn't arrived in the US or certainly at that point weren't a big thing, but that's all I could see, this gigantic bus, tour bus, and all these tiny little cars. We explored uh, Vatican City, that was amazing. I remember seeing uh, Pope John Paul II's tomb. He, I believe, he had just passed away previously. Uh, after Rome, we, we went to, uh, I think we were in Rome two or three days, and moved on to Spoleto, Italy. And I remember this particularly well because we stayed in a convent. It was the Istuto uh, Bambinesu, and it was a working convent. Uh, my buddy and I were given the room at the very top of the, of the convent, and it was almost like in the shape of an N, the letter N. And on the top of the N were the, the, the sink and the little kitchenette. And on one, one leg of the N was, um, was our beds, two beds really close together. And on the other leg of the N was our bathroom. And I remember the peculiarity of the peculiarity of that the shower wasn't enclosed and everything was covered. So you just took a shower in the open bathroom. Um, and particularly in that convent, I remember uh, waking up, we'd been out late the night before, and we had an afternoon off, and I fell asleep in the afternoon. It was probably four or five as I awoke, and I was laying there in this little bed, and I, I could, you know, the, I was looking up at the ceiling, and I knew where I was, but I didn't understand what I was hearing, and it was this, it was the most beautiful and ethereal and unearthly music I had ever heard. And so I got up and I'm like, I, I mean, for a while I thought I might have crossed over, but I, I left and as I got closer to the main building, I realized that it was the, the women of our choir and they were practicing in the, in the chapel. And it was, it was just permeating the entire grounds of the convent and it was such a beautiful moment. The, the vineyards in Spoleto were beautiful. Uh, I remember particularly the San Gregorio Maggiore. It was a beautiful uh, 17th century church that, that they held opera festivals in every year. Going to Venice next, the waterways, that's, that's what I remember there, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Uh, and then we ended our time in, in Italy in Assisi. And that was my favorite part of that leg of the trip because we got to sing in a church that was absolutely, our cathedral that was actually absolutely packed with people from around the village of Assisi. And then they had a choir that they performed for us and we exchanged music and um, it was just incredible. And I remember sitting and talking with the people. We moved on to Salzburg in Austria and learned all about, you know, Salzburg is the, the birthplace of Mozart. Um, and explored that for a few days. And then our final stop the night before we left 
was the town of Oberndorf. And uh, if you're not familiar with, with any of the German history or the Austrian history, um, it's right on the edge of Austria. And uh, Oberndorf is the site of the uh, Stille Nachte Kapelle, which is Capella, which is um, the Silent Night Chapel. And we got to sing Silent Night where Franz Gruber had composed it and it was first sung uh, several hundred years ago. So needless to say, I can remember almost every aspect of that journey and it's, four, it's been 14 years. Uh, and there are very few things that have had as large an impact on my teaching and, and then the lives of my students as well. Because when you travel and you share that with, with the people around you and the students under you, it's like a ripple effect. I've, well, I will after next year, I've taken three uh, students on three international trips, over 150 students. And the, the two that I've gone on, and I'm sure this one that I'm going on will, that will be the same. I can still remember every piece of music. I can still remember every performance venue um, and it's just, it, it, there's nothing like it. Um, so you might be thinking that, that I'm just talking about it for, for music or performing groups, but that couldn't be further from the truth. Those, those groups do create incredible memories because there's, there's some added stuff there, um, aspects of the, the auditory and visual and where we are. But traveling is and should be for everyone. And that's a little bit of what, why I'm talking about it today and, and what I'd like to, to convince you of. If you're a high school or middle school teacher in any subject and, and may, maybe you haven't considered traveling, I would highly encourage you to do so. And I'm gonna tell you why. Um, I, have, I currently have a performing arts colleague, um, somebody I teach with on a regular basis. And he's in his second year of teaching, I'm in my 10th. And when he heard that I was taking a group next year international, uh, and especially after, because I'm in a new institution this year, so he was just he was just flabbergasted that I would I would get arrive in a new town in a new school and then plan an international trip. And it's part of what helped me realize that maybe this is there are people out there, not just music teachers but history and language arts and and art teachers that that this hasn't occurred to them or or they haven't thought it all the way through about how that might work or whatever and so i think it's really important that, that i share it with you um, and and maybe let you know a little bit about how that looks and and what maybe you could do or, or what it might look like for you i'll never be able to explain and i hope you got that from my little story uh, what i experienced the first time I took a group of teenagers to Ireland. Uh, I was scared out of my mind, but I did it. And I was determined to do it from the very first night I arrived in Rome in 2016. I, I hadn't even sung yet in a, in a beautiful place or heard the music or, or anything. And I already knew, I'm like, when I'm a teacher, I have, to, I have to take, I have to bring kids, I have to show them this. And if not this, then something else is equally amazing. Uh, and I said right then, I will never not travel with my students. And it's been that way ever since. 
it's worth every hair pulling moment of fundraising and balancing the budget and ensuring that everything and everyone is covered. As I said before, um, it cha it changes lives and I still get uh, messages on the anniversary of that trip. Now, um, seven years ago this spring, uh, I still get messages from those kids and they always want to do a reunion or something and uh, goodness, if we all have the money, I mean, of course. So my first band colleague in my first position uh, told me, this was 10 years ago, and that was one of the first things I said, finally I've got a choir program and it's big and man, am I gonna change the world? And uh, I said, this is what I wanna do. And he said, you are far too young and it's far too complicated and, and you really shouldn't get yourself into trouble that way. You know, you're take, give it a few years. He said, take your kids to Hawaii or, or uh, you know, Louisiana or California and do that two or three times, you know, maybe six or seven years down the road, you'll be ready to, to fly internationally. And I really didn't like that answer. So I asked uh, my first and one of the best principals I've ever had about it. And I said, what do you, you know, and I felt pretty sheepish and stupid, as I said it. And he said, if, you know what? If you feel ready, then you are ready. Do it. And so I did. I had a brand new superintendent my second year at the school. And so that was pretty challenging. Um, he wasn't very excited about it because he was looking at it from a, a legal standpoint and how are we going to get sued and all of that. But they didn't really have any true policy. And I was lucky enough to have started a parent organization and my parents all, the parents of my, my students all loved the idea. And so we, we put a proposal together, even though we told, we've been told that it wasn't the greatest idea and we submitted it and it was approved. Uh, they didn't even talk about it at the board meeting. They just said, yep. So they, they, they voted to support it and, but they didn't, they didn't, um, set aside any, any money for it. And if you go to do this, I would say that that's probably going to be the case for you, um, but hopefully your school district would will will cover it. Uh, it it runs the gamut. It depends on the school district. A lot of them are are kind of shying away from it, um, but in my opinion, that shouldn't stop you. Um, we're going to focus on student relationships, as I said before, in the next episode, and I think it's perfect because I I think. I learned a great deal about those relationships from my experiences preparing students to travel. And not just any travel, international travel. Of course, if, you, if there's something in the US that, that you think your students should see, please do it. It doesn't mean that I, I snub my nose at domestic travel, but I do really encourage, whenever possible, international travel. Um, many people I know and probably you and, and certainly me have traveled coast to coast. But uh, yeah, and again, I would never balk at a trip to New York or Boston or LA or Seattle or any of those awesome cities. But I do truly believe that in the world we are trying to build and that's, that's been being built around us today, international travel is, is quite nearly um, essential. Uh, if you can, I hope you consider consider that, even if it's your first time. I had never taken kids or planned a trip anywhere, and the first place I went was Ireland. So it can be done, and I'm going to talk about that a little more later. But 
let's talk a little more now about why. <laughs> and, um, and this is very personal to me as well because I watched it in the lives of my kids. Um, many students we see each day, and you know this as a teacher, never get a chance to go on, on trips like this. And they may never have an opportunity like a trip uh, with their peers again afterwards. The mechanisms in place within a school district may be really the only, only mechaniz mechanisms that ever allow them to fundraise for a trip in this way. Um, that reason alone is, is worth trying to do it in, in high school or middle school. It's more than just fun. If you have ever had an in-depth conversation with a music teacher like myself, specifically about the view of our, our classroom from the outside, you might know that music teachers especially look down on the view that our classes are meant to be fun. Of course they're meant to be fun, but that's not the only reason that, that kids are there. Um, we should always ensure that um, that everybody in our classroom is thoroughly thoroughly educated on the finer points of music education. Um, but we like to, to educate anybody who might to might make a comment to the contrary that, that we're an academic discipline and I think that's important. We're not just fun. And the same should be said for travel. And I would like to introduce you to some of the more scholarly work in this area before we go further. Um, everyone loves a vacation and that's possibly one hurdle you will have to jump and be sure you clear it when selling a travel idea to a school board or your administrator or your supervisor. But there's some incredible research already on travel benefits for you and your students uh, beyond what I'm talking about here. I have a whole file on my computer actually that's filled with travel studies and reports and predictions um, and what it's looking like in the future, what destinations are, are looking good and, and cheap. Uh, but for the sake of not making this a two hour long episode, uh, I've kept my sources um, to a minimum and the points to my favorite ones. And the first source uh, was a Yale Tribune article earlier in 2019 that's called The Scientifically Proven Health Benefits of International Travel. Uh, and the first idea is that is that of the consequences of traveling itself, not the, the experience, but where our bodies are in, in space. Um, exposing the human body to completely new environments creates antibodies that, that build up our immune system. We're exposed to millions of microorganisms that we are normally not around, and several studies show that actually exposing ourselves to minor illnesses in foreign countries is beneficial for, for our uh, immune system and for fighting off infections. And we should also look at some historical figures. 200, 300, 400 years ago, humans were a little more worldly, uh, <clears throat> pun intended, actually. Today we live in a pristine, sterilized, and mostly germ-free environment. Everything we have, food, is, is mostly sterile and clean. Um, and we didn't have, we weren't exposed to the same things as people were back then. Uh, and so our travel to new locations actually helps us to stay healthier, and there's, there's research to back that up. Uh, Adam Galinsky, a Columbia Business School professor, uh, he's authored, authored several studies 
looking into travel, but he says foreign experiences increase both cognitive flexibility and depth and integrativeness of thought, the ability to make deep connections between disparate forms. However, traveling alone without being purposeful about engaging isn't enough. He says, quote, the key critical process in multicultural engagement is multicultural cultural engagement, immersion and adaptation. He explains further, someone who lives abroad and doesn't engage with the local culture will likely get less of a creative boost than someone who travels abroad and really engages in the local environment. So I'm a music teacher, I'm an artist, and that right there, I mean, I feel like I knew that even though I, I hadn't seen a study that, that had said that before I read it last year. Uh, in essence, traveling makes you more creative. Um, it, it increases your cognitive flexibility. Um, and you're a better thinker because of it. Uh, and then the last one I'll touch on just here, uh, while people, we don't like to talk about it necessarily, and I think that's changing, and I hope it's changing, we're gonna work to change it on here as well, um, but depression and trauma is a major problem, not just in our schools, but around the country or in around the world. Um, millions of Americans struggle with depression on a regular basis. Uh, and studies have shown that the, uh, the people in a depressed state can actually be greatly influenced by travel. Uh, a study at the Marshfield Clinic in Wisconsin found that women who vacation at least twice a year are less likely to suffer from depression and chronic stress than women who vacation less than once every two years. So. Students in our high school are year after year showing an increased level of trauma, stress, and anxiety. What better way to chip away at that than, than with travel? I think the hardest part of, of this first trip that you might be thinking of, or hopefully your mind is now, is now considering, is to take it, <laughs> that first step. If you're new to this, I'm going to take you through right now some of the first steps you'll want to take when you're, if, if this is something you want to do. And maybe you only do a few, maybe you only commit to doing, you know, like the first three or four uh, or five, just to see what it would, what it might be or look like for you or, or if it's even feasible. But I can tell you, I, it, it is feasible in almost every circumstance. So the first thing, step one, is you're going to want to look at your school district and your building policies. What is and isn't allowed? Um, I had an odd case here my, when I first started delving into it six months ago. There, there was no um, written out policy, but everybody knew the policy was that international travel wasn't supported. Um, so you'll want to find that out, find out what that looks like. Um, if, if international travel is supported in your school district or in your building, uh, that's wonderful news. It's going to make your life uh, quite a bit easier. If it's not, um, what your the, the next foray is finding out the people you talk to to find out if there's a way around it. So for us, the school district, and actually in the last district I was in, did not support international travel. However, that didn't mean that they didn't... Um, they didn't support it, but they didn't uh, ban it. So we were allowed to, 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 to be outside of the school district and say, this has nothing to do. The money doesn't go through them. Nothing goes through them. 
um, and then we can go and they allow us to, to ask the students if they want to go. The next thing, uh, step two, is, is dependent on, on what you teach. Um, what country or location seems most relevant to what you teach. Um, as a choral music artist, uh, anywhere in Europe is good for me, but you might have a subject that, that doesn't, doesn't have that um, flexibility. So you'll want, and, and you know, because you're an expert in your field, um, so you'll want to look at or think about some locations that, and things that kids might want to see, you might want to see, anybody on the trip might want to see, and then start to look into that. If you have a good relationship with and reputation with parents and students, um, you can kind of ask them where they might like to go. My students and parents this year chose Iceland, uh, and they're very excited about that, and that, that helps you to get the buy-in as well. Um, if you're a performing arts program, uh, and you have booster parents, they're really great people to talk to. Um, or if you're not, booster clubs that are already formed at the school, PTA committees, anybody like that, any of your students, parents that you speak to or maybe friends with outside of school, those are great people to talk to. Third step, what kind of trip are you making? Um, there's several different kinds. I know if you're new to this, it, it might not seem that way or, or that might be something you haven't thought of, but music performing groups, we, we go on tours. We perform three or four or five times over the course of a week. Um, if you're if you're an art classroom or an art program or a theater classroom, maybe you look at a festival in somewhere like London. Um, if you're language arts or your government, you might look at an event that's going to be happening at a specific time and, and look at that or, or a specific site. Um, number four is timeline. When can or should you go? Um, I would give your domestic trips well over a year uh, to, to prepare for, so at least a year out from today if you're starting to get everything in line. If you're going international, I would give it at minimum a year and a half, and I would recommend two years. I did not do this here because I took over a small but growing program, and I wanted to get students and parents accustomed to expecting a trip every two years. I also am using it as a recruiting tool, uh, and, and that works well. So I didn't do that, but I would recommend it, especially if it's your first time. Find out what time of year you can go. Um, if your school is allowing you and supporting you, what school policy, how many days of school are you going to miss? Um, if you can't miss a bunch of school, I would recommend or either summer or spring break. Now, summer is great because if you can if kids know two years in advance, they can not schedule a family vacation there. But my number one recommendation would be to go over spring break. And the reason is, number one, the cost, and number two, the freedom. Um, yes, they're giving up their spring break, but man, do they look forward to it. And uh, spring break doesn't jump into summer because summer is, is the busiest time for anybody to travel. Spring break is on the tail end of the cheaper times to travel around the, the world. And um, hotels in places like Ireland or um, 
Italy and Austria and Germany and France and England, they will be cheaper in spring where it's still kind of chilly, 40, 40, 30, 40 degrees. Uh, whereas summer, it's much warmer in those places and, and a lot more people go. Step five, who's going to take you there? And this is a big one and I really recommend you spend a lot of time on it. Um, you have a ginormous number of options when you're looking at, at school tours. I'm just going to talk about a few companies, but I guarantee if you go to Google and type in student tour companies, you're going to have more than you can deal with and you can spend a lot of time there. And I recommend spending a lot of time there. Um, one that a lot of teachers know and go with is ed educational discovery tours. They're pretty great. Uh, they, they'll take you on about any kind of tour. Um, the second one is Bob Rogers. Um, I've taken them personally. They were fabulous. Uh, they, they put together a brilliant tour. The kids loved it. Um, they had special features like bags and, and passport carriers that they gave us for free. Um, they, they had us all take pictures, again included, they had us all take pictures and then we all sent them to this site and they put us together a DVD of all the pictures from everybody taking them. Um, wonderful, wonderful group. Another uh, company I've used is Tour Resource Consultants, especially music. But um, also they have leisure and, and, and other, other programs put together. They're small. And then um, tons, tons, I'm talking thousands, of boutique agencies that will put a, get, put a tour together for you. We're using a group called Guardian Music and Group Travel when we go to Iceland in the spring of 2020. 2021, I'm sorry. Um, again, I can't, I can't stress this enough. Shop around. Uh, and if you've never done it before, you can actually access on most of their sites some tours that have happened previously. Um, and once you've got about at least three, maybe up to five destinations in mind, you want to contact them and they'll be eager to, to get back in touch with you. Um, have a conversation with them, preferably by, by phone, and tell them what you're looking at, maybe some activities you're, you know, they'll want to know. And, and have some destinations in mind. And then they will send you some, some sample proposals that will also have give you an idea of price and what you're looking at. Um, that kind of rolls into step six, which is what is important to you. Are you looking more at sites? Are you looking at, at activities? Are you looking at enrichment opportunities, cultural exchanges? I can tell you that every time I've taken a trip, the most important thing I've always told um, my agent is, is cultural exchanges. Um, generally that means they find you a school or two in the area that you're going to, and you get to spend a day with them, um, in, in any number of activities. For us, of course, it's usually performing and, and getting to know them, but I can't stress how, um, how amazing that is for them. Seven, how are you going to pay? This is a big one for us right now. Are the students gonna pay? Is your district supporting you in some way? Are you gonna do fundraising? Um, you need to know that, that the leader, which is you, the, the teacher is gonna go free, but how many free spots do you need? Do you need um, another one for a cooperating teacher? Uh, that'll change your costs. Um, and then you can ask the company. Um, what they're what they're gonna how they're gonna have you pay and and all of those fun things so for example us 
this year, um, we were not allowed to go through the school district. So I actually had to start uh, the second one I've ever done, a nonprofit outside of the school system with their own tax ID number and our own identification so that I can actually take deposits from, from students and parents and then send them to the company. Uh, you know, there, another way I know a group, uh, again, from my school is, is um, doing it direct, their Spanish group next summer is going and they're having, they're paying directly, then there's not really much fundraising going on there. Um, so that's something you need to think about and then look into and, and, and really uh, get your head around. Um, step eight is you've got all this stuff figured out. Now you need to get it approved. Um, so I would prepare and, and present a proposal, whether that needs to happen at the, at the building level first and then at the district level. Uh, and then if there is one, follow a school district protocol. Uh, you don't want to tick people off because um, you didn't follow a protocol or somebody heard something they shouldn't have or it, the, the cat got let out of the bag early. Also, if you can't help it, don't tell kids that it's happening necessarily because I've had it happen the first time where kids kids left the <laughs> left the class where I was talking about it and immediately went home and said, Mom, I'm going to Ireland. And then I got a, a, a wonderful email from an, a supervisor saying, um, I think you need approval for this. And I, and I, I cleared it up, but it's, it's easier to just not have to do that. Step nine, we're going to say that you got your, your proposal approved, and now it's time to announce, advertise, and, and develop or schedule a parent meeting. This is my favorite part aside from going on the trip itself. It's so much fun. I had a lot of time or a lot of, a lot of fun with it, but you need to set a night that you know is free. Check the calendars, make it, make sure it's two or three weeks out and you know, there's no sporting events, really do your homework on that. Um, and then start to, to, to bring up the hype in your classroom and then in the school announcements and then put up posters. Uh, and once you've done all that, I want you to start to put together a, present, a presentation with pictures. It doesn't matter what kind. If you use um, PowerPoint or, or um, any of the other uh, programs out there, but put it together and have fun with it. I, used, I did the first one on Prezi online, um, and that was a lot of fun. And make sure you use pictures um, with, from your sample itinerary. This is, these are the places we're going to go. This is what's cool about this. And... You know, in Iceland, we get to go out and see the Northern Lights, so that was a slide all its own. And um, there's some hot springs there, and that's a slide all its own. So really have fun with that. Um, and the more you enjoy presenting it, the more kids and, and parents are gonna buy in. Um, check with your tour company. Some of them will wanna send a representative. I've, now they're not, I don't think in most cases they're gonna insist on that, but I always say, no, 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 I'll, I'll deal with it. I'll handle it because I've done it several times now and I know how all the insurance works and, and all of that. And I always have them explain and I always have questions that I forward to them later, but I really like to take ownership of that. And then, then the last step is, is optional, but it's fundraising. And you're going to want to develop a fundraising model and um, start to think about what's unique and, and different. Try not to sell everything the whole time. If you can, sell yourself. 
um, sell a service that the kids can perform. Um, and again, this is kind of dependent on if you're in or out of a school district. For instance, my school district doesn't really love GoFundMes, but if you're not, but I'm not in a school district, I'm not sanctioned by the school district, so my kids can do all the GoFundMes they want to. Um, we're holding a benefit golf tournament this summer, um, and my favorite, and, and you know, when you look at the cost um, versus the benefits, I think it's really, I think it's really a good idea, but if your tour company will do it, ask them for an extra free spot in your, in your trip that you don't need, um, and then raffle that off. Uh, we, we sold ours last month for 10 bucks a pop, or I think it was six for, for 50 bucks, and that, the winner of that raffle got a trip to Iceland or a travel voucher worth the same amount of money, um, and I, I, it was just phenomenal. And people were excited for 10 bucks they could win, you know, a trip to Iceland. So uh, that was a huge money maker for us. Uh, and that's my favorite one. I do it every time because it, it's such a great way to do it. It does raise your trip price, maybe 40, 50, up to 80 bucks per kid. But if you think about it, they, they raise that selling three or four tickets and then uh, the rest is history. And then they can make a bundle. Um, so that's, that's kind of what that process looks like. That's the process I go through every time. Um, but now I kind of want to talk about why again. Um, if you're an educator, you're an administrator who has um, maybe up at this point never, never explored it or never thought about it, um, you're probably saying something like, Jake, those trips are great for areas with, with high socioeconomic levels or or it's easy to plan a tour when you're someone like you where you do it all the time and you're super excited about it and um, you know where you want to go and exactly what you want to do. Um, and in both of those instances, you might be correct. But if there's one thing I've learned, it's that uh, the reasons to stay are usually the best reasons to go. It's not as crazy as it sounds. My first trip to Ireland in 2013, I had a young lady who, who wouldn't even speak to me after I presented to one of my classes for the first time. And it took some coaxing, uh, but the entire reason she didn't want to speak or with me or look at me at all was because she was actually ashamed and it took a while to get to that. But her friends had gone home and and had gotten, you know, we're going, we're so excited to go. And, and she was absolutely certain that she couldn't. Um, she, she, her family didn't come from a lot of money. Um, she knew that if she was gonna go, she'd have to pay for her for herself, and she had no idea, no concept in her head of what that looks like. And I walked her through what the fund, fundraising model was, and I explained that at a minimum, that that model was designed to provide more, just over half of the cost of the trip. And that's just the basic, like if you do this, this, and this, you should really, um, in all, in all um, reality, raise half the cost of the trip. And the rest was in her hands. And I said, that's, that's minimum. I said, you can excel at that and make most of or all of the trip. Uh, or you can, or you cannot. I said, but it, you've got to make that choice and, and believe that you can do it. And when we went on the trip, she had paid for the trip and had enough money in her pocket to, to, to um, pull out $300, 300 euros when we got to Ireland in Dublin. So um, right now I'm preparing to, 
we've started fundraising in the payments for Iceland. Our first fundraiser, as I said before, was the raffle tickets. And um, one young lady who's been accepted to about everything under the sun over the last year, and she's going to Puerto Rico in the, in the summer, and she's going to theater camps, and she's spending a lot of money. Um, but I told the, my students this year the same that I've always told students, and um, she raised just over $800 in those on this first fundraiser. I mean, that's that's over 25% of her trip right there in one fundraiser. I think our job as teachers is to place learning experiences in the path of our students. We can lead the horse to water. And that doesn't mean that every student who truly wants to jump into an inter international travel experience will get to. That's We know that that's, that's not reality. It's a challenging endeavor, and you as the teacher might be really cursing my name after the first two to three months if you try it. Um, whether that has to do with fundraising, the amount of time you spend talking and answering questions with parents or grandparents or family of the students or, or even administrators explaining to them exactly how this is going to work and, and what you're covering and all of that. Um, but I can tell you that it's worth it. I can't make you drink the Kool-Aid. I can't, I can't, I, I can talk all day about how great my travel experiences are. Um, and in, in reality, that this podcast hasn't been a whole lot about, I didn't want to show you a bunch of studies. I didn't want to show you, um, say, hey, look at me, I'm awesome. I take kids internationally every two or three years. What I wanted you to hear, hopefully in my voice and the way I talk about traveling is that it's one of, in my opinion, the single most amazing things you can do for kids. If it's in your heart to give your kids the best experiences, the most enriching lessons, and some of the most memorable moments of their life, your work, if you should try this, will be worth it. And if those ideals are, are truly a part of you, you can do this. I promise. I was... <laughs> I was a second year teacher when I jumped in and by and, and I took kids in my third year of teaching and um, short of one hiccup in the in the uh, Philadelphia airport where we almost lost a kid's passport it was a, a wildly successful trip I think we as teachers can can provide just shy of everything for our students if, it, if, it's, if we believe teaching and educating is our passion and our calling, and I certainly look at teaching as a, as a calling. Um, travel, international travel especially, is not an instant win. You might not uh, receive many awards for planning a trip for kids. And you, you are certainly, um, if you do it in the long run, are going to rumble some feathers at some, some point. Um, for you, if you haven't stepped beyond a few of the, the great areas in our country, taking a flight over thousands of miles of water might be the last thing um, many kids and parents and administrators and other teachers have on their mind. Um, your principal might think that, think, think that, that doing something like that is the last thing that could be safe for kids. Uh, and that's a challenge, uh, but it's one worth taking. I guess my question when I look at all of this is uh, when we're teaching and, and when we're, we're looking at international travel or, or some other big undertaking like this is, is when we do it, are we going to improve the quality of the, 
of the life of a student, uh, you know, if we take them to a place they've never imagined. Uh, have we set the bar high enough or at least higher in their life um, if, if, if we fill their time with experiences rather than things? Have we taught them anything about the way the world works? You know, just an example of, of looking at that young lady from my first school and, and she never dreamed it was possible to raise $3,000 to go to Ireland. Um, so money is involved teaching kids responsibility, goal setting. Um, I would say even dreaming. And we kind of lose that as we get to be adults. But if we're not striving to give them everything we, we, we can offer, then um, at least for me, who looks as education as a calling, I'm falling short. And I'm not going to tell you that international travel is the end-all, beat-all. But in my book, it doesn't get much better. Um, no test score will ever capture the true essence of what it is to stand in silence under the Sistine Chapel. Um, right now, I can just, I, it brings me almost to tears remembering. Uh, I, can, I can remember, I can still hear the whispers of people standing around me. Um, no book can, can intrigue their senses with, with the sight of the Cliffs of Moher. Um, there's no cookbook that I know of that, that contains the the tastes or the smells of an authentic Irish dinner served at Bunratty Castle in, I in Ireland. And I don't believe that any computer screen can truly reveal the beauty of the Northern Lights seen uh, from an Icelandic iceberg. I just, I can't imagine that. So I'm going to leave you with this thought. Um, it's, maybe it's not for everyone, and maybe this didn't pique your, pique your interest at all. Um, but I will promise you that um, if, you, if you tackle an endeavor such as, as planning uh, an amazing trip to a foreign country with, with your students, that you will change their lives. My life has been changed ever since that, that day in March 2006 when I landed in Rome. And that the beautiful thing that I can look back on as a teacher is that day changed the lives of, so far, over 150 other students up to 14 years later. And it is my hope, and that, that was a ripple in the pond, and it is my hope that out of those 150 little ripples that, that started on that day in Rome in 2006, there will be hundreds and, and hundreds and thousands of other little ripples. Um, if, if you're nervous to take that first step, I get it. And, um, I want to offer and, and let you know that I'm more than willing to, to get you started on the right path. When I first did it with students, um, there, there are, there are things, there are people called, um, uh, tour, uh, tour leaders. And, and I asked the guy, I said, or tour directors, there's many names for them. And I said, well, how did you get to do this? He was like a personal concierge to our group. And, and he said, oh, there's a school for it. And I went to that school in San Francisco uh, and it was an incredible experience. So what I'm telling you is I've got a certificate in this and um, I've seen it change lives. And if you're unsure about it, that unsure about it, after, after listening to this, then 
I would be happy to, uh, if you want to contact me through my website, Jacob, uh, at jacobegants.com, or you can email me directly at jacob at jacobegants.com. Let me know what you're looking at, where you're getting hung up, um, and I'd be more than happy to, to walk you through and help you through some of the, um, the pitfalls and, and catch you up to where you need to be and, and advise you in any way I can. That's all the time I have today on Millennial Mythos. I want to thank you so much for taking the time to, to drop in today and listen. Again, if you have any questions or, or comments, please, please make sure you let me know. Um, and I hope that uh, we've gone on a, a journey together. Remember, it's, it's the journey itself. It's not the destination. And um, I just want to thank you so much for listening to us. I'm Jacob Gantz. This is Millennial Mythos. Let's talk soon.